It's 2022, which means it's a renewal year and you need CEUs. 30 if you're in South Carolina, and three of those have to be on ethics, jurisprudence, and whatever else goes in that category. Look, the year's going by fast, and you can knock out all those requirements with a MedBridge subscription, and you can get 40% off with the discount code BETTERFASTERPOD. I have a friend named Shelly, and she's a little lazy. Her words, not mine. She hasn't done any Con Ed over the past year and a half until she got her subscription set up. And what she does is she just puts modules on her phone while she watches 90 Day Fiance. Great show, by the way. Is she learning anything? No. But is she getting the local governing bodies off her bat? Yes. Your subscription also includes NSCA credits, OCS certification prep courses, patient education, home exercise programs, EMR integration. There's tons and tons of resources. Again, use the discount code BETTERFASTERPOD to get 40% off your individual subscription. That's the best price that MedBridge offers, okay? Only the best for our listeners. Now enjoy the episode. Welcome to another episode of the Better Faster Podcast. Today, Brandon and I are joined by Drs. Reed Hanlery and Amy DePelto, and we're doing a fun little interview with uh, the USC DPT program. So, Reed, I'll let you kind of talk a little bit about yourself and kind of what we're doing today. All right, perfect. Thank you, Josh. Uh, my name is Reed Hanlery. I'm a physical therapist and then a PhD student at USC, uh, co-instructor of health promotion and wellness in physical therapy here at USC, along with Dr. Fritz. And so, this course, it's kind of it has a lot of miscellaneous topics that we cover, but one thing we do is talking about special populations because that's not often in the curriculum. And so today we're talking about athletes. So the special considerations for athletes and who better to talk to that about than you three right here. And so basically I wanted to ask you some questions about how you work with athletes, what makes them different, what makes them similar to other patients, and then kind of get a, get a view on how we should treat them and kind of how to go about that. Awesome, man. Yeah, it's such a fun population to, to work with too. And yeah, we're fortunate enough that um, I would say we still see a little bit of everything, but we're lucky enough that over the years, Brandon, Jim, and everybody have kind of created this uh, niche a little bit of more of an active population. So we do get a fair amount of, of athletes. Um, I use that term in air quotes there, right? Because I'm sure we're going to break that down a little bit more. But yep. um, Amy, we've had you on here before, but it's been a little while. You want to tell, tell the listeners anything new that's going on? Where should I start? <laughs> Uh, all right. So at this point now, I think I was on like about a year ago. Yeah. So <clears throat> over a year at Vertex with, with these two. And um, we've, we've done a lot of stuff since I started. Um, most recently started the Women's Barbell Club in the yeah. gym, which has been super awesome. And um, yeah, I've been coaching a little bit more too in the gym, which has yeah. been really great. Um, and then, you know, we're starting some learning things here as well. So um, we have a lot going on kind of down the road, which is also really great. Um, but yeah, just continuing to learn and helping, helping where I can. Oh, for sure. And Amy is very modest. So we've got some learning things going on. Amy basically built out an entire like continuing education curriculum for all our PTs and also is now uh, going to take over actually some teaching responsibilities at USC too. So uh, it's so great to have uh, you around and uh, you're on this call with us today too. So Reed, uh, I guess I'll kick it back over to you. We can get this thing rolling. Absolutely. So uh, we kind of know a little bit about all your backgrounds, but what kind of, so we said athletes. So what kind of populations do you treat, generally speaking, as far as athletes? So, yeah, yeah. So I would say, just piggybacking off of what Josh said earlier, we see a little bit of everything, right? We got the, the extremes. We got you know, young kids. We got plenty of uh, geriatric population as well, too. But I'd say since most of our 
marketing efforts are kind of geared towards that active population and, and the fact that we, we stay active ourselves too. We're all kind of involved in our own sectors of, you know, sports, fitness, that kind of thing too. Um, it's given us a chance to get a, a good variety of people. So it's, and it's kind of been interesting because people have their own niche. Like, you know, think about Jim, you know, he's very much into golf, gets a lot of golfers, you know, we get plenty of, uh, I guess the terms fitness athletes. These fitness days. athlete, but yeah. You, say, you think about CrossFit, yeah. right? Basically, like it's kind of you know the layman's term for that. Um, and then you know we also have been very fortunate to get um, you know a few pro athletes, right? A few people that are kind of making a living off of this, right? You know the baseball world, you know football, so on and so forth. So a little bit of everything, I would say. Tactical as well, too, right? You know, yeah. we got some you know military, uh, firefighter, police, and um, it, it keeps it really fun. You know, it's a lot, a lot of energy, uh, a good time. Makes you force you to get creative and. Um, you know, be really dialed in on what you're doing on all fronts. Okay. Can you, can you define tactical athlete just for those who aren't unfamiliar with that term? Yeah. So, um, tactical athlete, you know, I think, um, basically just, just picture your military firefighter police, you know, people in, in that sector, you know, that's, that's kind of generally what we refer to whenever we use the term, um, tactical athlete. It's, I think that's probably the simplest way. Okay. To think about Perfect. It. Yeah. yeah. So it's one of those things that athlete doesn't necessarily have to define as somebody that's preparing for a sport, like a specific sport. I think sometimes we group that in there. It's really, uh, people who wear their performance and, and, and their, their fitness level is essential to whatever it is that they need to be able to do. Yep. So it kind of, hard to be a little, exactly. Yeah. So it can be someone who's, who's training, who's part of their occupation, whether it be a pro athlete or somebody mm-hmm. working in law enforcement, or it can be someone who part of what they love to do is competing in like a local CrossFit competition. So it's definitely a wider range. Or if, you know, you've been paying attention to ESPN since the shutdown. I mean, you got, you got what the Tetris world championship, you got, you got, you got big dudes slap boxing each other. You got belly flop content. So that term's getting thrown around a lot more than it used to. Yeah, we'll, we'll play a game later. Uh, is it a sport? Is it not a sport? Maybe we'll do that. Yeah. See what your thoughts are on that. So Brandon kind of hinted at this, but what are your guys' thoughts? And I think I already know this, but uh, uh, PTs as role models. So I imagine you guys prioritize fitness and health. Right. Um, yeah. I, I, you want? I can. Yeah. I think. Um, I think that uh, basically, whether we want to except or not, we are role models, right? I think that, especially when we're dealing with athletes, we talk about fitness and sort of practicing what we preach. You know, that's what gives us credibility, commonality, intent. And, you know, I think about people in my life, people who had the most respect for, and it always seemed to be the people who walked the walk, who had integrity, did the right thing, um, so on and so forth. So, um, so yeah, you know, like I said, um, you know, whether or not we want to accept that as being a, a, a role model, uh, people are watching, right? I think there's a country song about that. You know, some of us have been watching you, but, uh, but yeah, man. And, you know, the other thing too is, you know, I think that we also, I don't want to get too philosophical, but, you know, I don't think anybody's perfect either, right? You know, because I, I will preach wellness all day long, right? You know, you know, we need to eat like an adult, but if a patient brings me Krispy Kreme across, from across the street, I'm going to eat a couple donuts, right? And, you know, talk about sleep, but I stayed up late last night watching The Last Dance. So um, nobody's perfect, but I think for the most part, we got to strive to to do the right thing and, and you know, be a role model. Um, right. Yeah. We can. yeah, I think it's true. It, it honestly, being like Brandon said, walking the walk there also helps from, you know, instilling confidence in the person that's in front of you too. So a lot of times when they come in, especially in this population, uh, it helps if you're speaking the same language, if you clearly can demonstrate competency in that area or understanding that sport. I know I I love working with baseball guys and baseball is my background. So we can, we can be actually breaking down the sport a little bit and how, what they're doing is relating to their sport or if it's a CrossFit or being able to speak that language. Um, I think that's huge from, from instilling confidence in them that they're in the right spot. And then, and that is, you know, that, 
expectation and their belief in what's going on, it goes, uh, you know, plays a huge role in their outcome. So um, I think it's important for us to, to walk the walk yeah. um, for those people who are kind of watching from the outside, but also so that each one of our patients feels like they are in the, the right place for them. Yeah. From, from my standpoint with me working with a lot more females, um, especially with our recent barbell club, um, a lot of it is being somebody to inspire and motivate them too, because not everybody that I treat is like a high level athlete. Um, some people are looking to be able to get more fit. That's actually a lot of who I work with. So um, in that case, they like look up to me as somebody that they can trust to give me the right information. And that's a big, I would say that's a, probably the biggest part of it for me. Mm -hmm. Very good. Okay, uh, we talked about you guys treat a, a wide range of, of athletes and people who are active in general. Uh, what types of, what's the most common injuries and problems that they present with? Ooh, yeah. Overuse. Yeah, over, oh yeah, <laughs> most time relating to a lot of times to overuse. Um, I think it's still, kind of like we mentioned, athletes so broad that it, it really depends on kind of the activity or the sport or, mm -hmm. or what they're working for. I know for me being more CrossFitters and baseball guys, CrossFitters, a lot of shoulder stuff and low back stuff. Um, and baseball time, oh, a lot of times you're dealing with arm, arm issues. So um, uh, although that's not exclusively what you'd see within those populations, there tend to be some themes because of the way the training or the sports design. So, um, yeah, I think we get a lot of shoulders, hips, low backs, knees, <laughs> a little Absolutely. bit of everything. I prefer the term misuse. You know, <laughs> I, think, I think that term overuse gets yeah, overused. Yeah, true. I like overused that. Overuse quite a bit. You. You, know, you. you know, a lot of times they're, they're some people's training or, or their sport may sort of exceed their capacity. Right. That's yeah, the very, that's the politically right. correct answer but, right there. Yeah, I like it. Right. That might be semantics, but yeah. No, yeah, you're exactly right. So <laughs> if, if misuse is, is leading to these, or we believe is leading to these issues that they're presenting with, how do you go about talking to them? Is that a day one conversation as far as what are you doing for training? What does that look like? Do you incorporate things like how's your sleep, how's your nutrition, or does that depend on the patient? So walk me through like a typical evaluation of someone comes in with an overuse injury. How do you, how does that conversation start? Obviously, it's different for each yeah. person. But. So I, you know, as part of my evaluation, if I am working with somebody who we've identified to be more of an athlete, I would say I definitely ask them all of the aspects of health, nutrition, sleep, stress, um, and even hydration, too. Um, I would say, like, I definitely have to know what their previous training was. So if we talk about acute to chronic workload ratio, which I'm sure people have I've heard of at this point just because it is popular um, in the research um, you know we want to look at their past three months of training and some of that depends on how long they've been doing it because if they just started doing something four weeks ago you're not going to be able to get that but you want to understand what led that like led them up to that point so um, if you can get a glimpse of that versus like the training in the time span of when they had the injury too you would want to kind of see if you can get a comparison on well was it something that they had like a load management issue or, you know, is it maybe something else that they did in like, you know, some movement pattern um, for what led them to see you? But um, that would be the big thing uh, because if you identified that, you know, three months ago they started a half marathon training program and, and then like a week ago they were like, yeah, I uh, bumped my mileage up, um, you know, quite a bit. Like I did like 10 extra miles, you know, this week versus, you know, the past for three weeks or whatever it might which, be. Which is very common if mm -hmm. you, you haven't seen yeah. runners especially. <laughs> yeah, which we definitely treat a lot of that here. Too. Yeah, we do get a lot of runners. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if, if we have, if I've identified like an issue there, then I will try to spark the conversation with that, but I won't do it like right then and there. I'll kind of wait till the end because I still want to, you know, take a look at stuff and just see 
um, from you know an examination standpoint what things are looking like but um, it's hard to throw that out like immediately when you are just getting to know someone because you also don't want to come off as like harping on their current training because you want you still want to be able to create a rapport with them absolutely yeah but you know you know I definitely think that I, my opinion, I've sort of seen the profession em embrace um, the importance of addressing those lifestyle factors more and more as, as years go along, because, I mean, that's what's really going to create the optimal healing environment, I guess you want to call it. Um, and I know for me, like, I'll, I definitely address those things day one or ask about, them. you know, very, I keep it very general um, as far as that goes, you know, about, you know, sleep, stress management, nutrition, hydration as well, too, that kind of thing, too. But um, I definitely, on day one, don't dive into the weeds with that, because that's a situation where you don't want to give them paralysis by analysis. But mm -hmm just the fact that you're actually inquiring about that and asking um, tends to be received very well and appreciated because people just don't get that from their healthcare provider. So that's, it's huge. It's very important. Yeah. I think it, it's, you know, your whole, the, the whole point of that, that first visit, a lot of it, you know, talk about, you know, an evaluation or an assessment where you're evaluating and assessing kind of where they are in those other areas too. Where are they in their nutrition journey or where are they with their knowledge uh, of sleep and, and how its importance and how much and that kind of stuff. And, and you're, you're just getting an appraisal for, for where do I may, maybe want to start with some of these things? Because like Brandon said, you know, somebody could be walking through the door, they have very little nutrition, uh, nutrition related knowledge. Me starting to talk about macros and things like that is just, is one, it, they're, they're probably not going to buy in and two, they're, it's probably going to go over their head or I'm setting them up for failure. So a lot of that first part is not necessarily giving them a ton of info about the importance of X, Y, and Z. It's just figuring out where they are with these different things. So that way we can determine, okay, what's the, you know, the lowest hanging fruit or where can I put, uh, you know, make a, a small habit-based change that really I think that they can grasp and that will really help them along this process. So I'm kind of like them, I'm getting an appraisal for, you know, okay, how is this, or a lot of times it starts with how is this affecting, or is this affecting your sleep? And then go, okay, well, you know, do you have like a, you, do, you know, what do you, think about sleep in terms of how much you try to give. You go to bed about the same time, you know, maybe it leads to some follow-up questions, mm -hmm. but um, I'm not breaking down the science of sleep right. on visit one, right? But you still need to get an idea of where they are. So I do that a lot. And then, uh, especially with CrossFitters that I get a lot of CrossFitters, um, you know, load management's huge. So a lot of it is, you know, talking about your training regimen, you know, where do you go? What kind of stuffs do you do? You know, you're doing the class stuff, you're adding your own stuff in, you know, uh, trying to get an appraisal of, of their overall training picture to determine if it's something we need to go after. Very good. And see, Josh, you had mentioned a couple of the questions that you actually ask. If you're trying to get a snapshot of nutrition or sleep, what's your go-to question? Is it just, how much do you sleep on an average night? Or what do you, what do you actually ask them? Yeah, I think that's a good, a good question. You know, it's like, hey, how many hours on average did you say you usually get of sleep a night? And cool. then see what, see what they say, you know? And, and a lot of times they'll, they'll tell you, oh, I sleep, I sleep great. And, and then you might dive into a little bit further and you realize, ah, they're not necessarily sleeping as great as they, they said. So a lot of people are just unaware of, uh, of really even, you know, how much they're sleeping or, or how the quality of their sleep. So um, a lot of times it's just getting them thinking about it first. And then maybe as you're doing some of those other things and rest periods of, of workout of, of exercises as you're doing it or if you are going to do something manual related conversation going on maybe I'm starting to ask some more follow-up questions and over time put together that picture and make it a little bit clearer so I know where I want to start with it okay that makes a lot of sense as far as the nutrition portion though that sometimes is a hard piece to yeah. ask because you could get really in the weeds with that so um, you know without having them go like into too much depth sometimes I'll just say like give me a, a snapshot like of a typical day of eating for you because other than that like we could have a conversation for a whole hour about Absolutely. Just, uh, oh, yeah 
And a lot of times people don't, they, they really don't, they aren't conscious or aware enough of what they're putting in their bodies that you ask them, like, can you tell, you know, give me an idea of what a typical day looks like or like what yesterday looked like. And they won't be able to recall it to you. And it's just because it's, it's not something that they've prioritized or are focusing on. And then, so then it just becomes about, you know, helping them to be more aware about what they're doing and just starting with that awareness first. And it could be as simple as like having them say, Hey, you know, like they're, they're inconsistent with meals they're skipping meals periodically with it. We know as athletes, that's a, a big problem, especially if their training volume's high and we're all of the mindset. We want them to stay training as much as possible during this process. So, you know, we're, if they're, there's inconsistency there that could be where you start with somebody is just say oh yeah i just want to see what you said you know this goal before i see you next time what's the goal is not to miss any meals no let's just get a meal in every every time you know you're you should be eating get something in i'm not even worried about what it is just get something in just starting there yeah Yeah. i mean i think like like day one you know going back to that i I try to keep it open-ended just very very general like i'll literally ask tell me about your sleep how you sleeping at night? And then, you know, sometimes I'll get an extreme when I sleep great or I sleep like crap. And then that's when I'll maybe dive into a couple more follow-up questions. Same thing with the diet too. Mm-hmm. You know, usually like if I get them talking, they'll be like, you know, it's just been really bad lately. I've been eating a bunch of fast food. I hadn't eaten breakfast the last you know, week or so. I've been so busy and stressed, that kind of thing. And then that sort of leads to some more targeted follow-up questions, I would say, um, as far as that goes. And then you can sort of decide where to go from there. It's not, it sounds like those, those questions that they don't take a lot of time, but they give you, it can give you a lot of information, mm-hmm. especially if there's a yeah. glaring problem. Oh yeah. I've had a I've had a friend who who's having GI GI issues with running, and you know I asked them what they what they eat before they run, and they they drink six cups of coffee prior to a run. Oh, and yeah. you know, at, at face va- at face value, you're just saying, oh my gosh, I would I can get I can get behind I would I would make energy in there. The only way I'm running. It's the only way you can get me to run. But yeah, the the important part is just asking those those little questions, and you know. You, if you have an hour for the eval day one, you, you obviously you're looking at a lot of other stuff too. Right. So, but it's something to like, like Josh had said, kind of open up the conversation and get them thinking about it. So I, yeah. think, I think that's real important. And we are lucky we have an hour. That that's very yeah. we're, that's helpful too. And like Amy mentioned though, it's like you almost spend the first forty five minutes just ch- just talking the whole time, right? You're still taking a very good subjective. But sometimes these questions are maybe you know follow ups after you've gotten them moving a little bit or kind of that kind of thing too, because they're expecting to kind of get. That that, that experience, right? Especially they've yeah. been to PT before too. So it's it's picking and choosing yeah. how you're going to go about it and when to go about it. Those uh those, those times you have your patients like warm up on a bike or you're you know doing some yeah. out there from the shoulder. That's the perfect time to like get yeah. those conversations. The, the Absolutely, to to, two you know? things at one time. Very good. Um, do you guys ever use any specific outcome measures to assess things like nutrition or sleep, or do you find that not nece- necessary to get what you mm-hmm. need? I mean, yeah. you, you can, I know that, uh, I can't remember it off the top of my head, but there is one for sleep. Um, I know we had talked about yeah. that from like that, one of the ice physio, um, I think podcast that they did, they talked about sleep, but, um, I think for nutrition, I don't have one in particular. There's just like a lot of times what I will do is if we are going to go down the rabbit hole with that, then I will have them do like a three day journal, three, maybe three to five day journal, depending on how, yep. how much they want to do with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that we can get an actual snapshot of what they are eating and to make them more self-aware if they need that. Um, and then I would say the same with hydration. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, we could, could go down the list of that stuff, but do people lie on their food journals? So that's an interesting, <laughs> that's interesting. Researchers um, say yes. Yeah. But say how yes. would we never know? Or, or they make behavior changes during the time. <laughs> yeah, which they know yeah, that yeah. they're going to be I will say though, I really try to, to preface that um, with, especially with my, my clients, like, I literally don't care what you write on this thing. I am not here to judge you. I'm here to just 
help you in whatever way possible that is. Um, yeah, and I'll try, usually try to make a joke like, I just ate a whole bag of popcorn yesterday. It's fine, you know, like it, it just is what it is. So um, yeah, I mean, still more than likely they're probably not being completely truthful, right, but right. Yeah. yeah, I would say when I don't have an out, like outcome measure specifically, a lot of times it's just logs in some way. And that can be as, as detailed as I think is appropriate for that person. So if they're a little bit more um, knowledgeable in the area, maybe I do have them, you know, try to estimate portion sizes or things like that. But it can be some people who are just like, hey, uh, for tomorrow or, you know, or the next day, I choose Amazon again Thursday. Hey, for the rest of the day of tomorrow, I want you to just take a picture of every meal you have. When it's mm -hmm. on your plate for you, each take a picture of it and come in with it, right? Something quick and easy, they are, everyone has their phone on them, or just something so I can get some kind of appraisal of what they're putting in their body. Same thing from sleep at, you know, just telling them, like, hey, um, you know, next couple of days, just write down the time when you, you know, write, put a little notepad by your bed, write down the time we went to bed, write up the time when you got out of bed, and just like kind of, just to get something there. Um, and so a lot of people now have something from a wearable standpoint that might already be tracking that. And they may not be using that data, but it could be something very easy. They're wearing an Apple Watch. We can just quickly flip through and see what their average sleep has been or there are things like that. Um, and we know there's some accuracy issues with some of that, but it at least gives you some kind of an appraisal. Um, so I, I'm the same with Amy. I preface it with like, I don't want you to necessarily change anything. I want you to be, a, I want a day in the life of you. Like that's just what there's, there's no right, there's no wrong. I just want to see what it looks like. So that way we have a good idea of where we want to start with some stuff. Um, again, it's probably, it sounds like it's probably just highly varied on the first two years. You probably got yeah. some of those like type A people with like oh, yeah. engineer math background that will track mm -hmm. every calorie, every yeah. macro and probably thrive yeah. and that sort of. Yeah. Sort you of might thing. say, hey, I want to get a food loan. Like, okay, yeah. do you want me to use my food scale? And I'm like, yeah. well, if you have it, then yeah. Like, yeah. If, you, <laughs> if you have it, like if you have it and you're, mm -hmm. you have experience with that, then yeah, weigh and measure it. Like accuracy and, and data would be great. But at the same time, you don't want to tell somebody who's never done any of that, that that's what they need to do. Absolutely. Right? So it's just meeting them where they are, figuring out what they need to do. So it sounds just like just like physical activity and, and tracking training. It sounds like you would just just track it. That's the only way to see change. Yeah. The only way to see what yeah. what you're dealing with there. So yeah, next to see science ready band. Yeah, yeah. There's there's some some good words. Ready band. Ready band over whoop. <laughs> I'm still on the loop train. And I'm on a no wearable because I don't want something yelling at me for my poor habits. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I don't wear it. So you guys, uh, going back to kind of overtraining, you guys, obviously you see people in pain, people who are maybe out of their sport or trying to get back to it. How do you, how do you modify an athlete's training plan while they're injured? As far as how do you work around injury or work with injury or how do you describe that? What's that process look like? Generally speaking, because obviously every yeah, yeah, is yeah. different, but I'd say for the most part, Josh already touched on a little bit. We're, we're trying to keep people training as much as possible around the injury, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, worst case scenario, you got somebody who's a fresh post-op, you know, post-op shoulder, you know, you still got three other sound extremities, so it, training doesn't stop, right? And that's actually to benefit that said post-op shoulder, right? You know, things like cross-education theory, all the, you know, beneficial hormonal things that occur with exercise, that sort of thing too. Um, but for other people as well, um, you know, if it's like something a little more minor, um, just, you know, maybe they got a hot knee, right? That might be a thing where, you know, they're still going to be going to their CrossFit boxes, but it's going to be modifying their movements a little bit. You know, maybe it's going to be the squat to a box, the slam to the power position, something like that. Um, but definitely, I think that's where it's helpful to honestly be experienced in that sort of thing, too. You know, having done those movements yourself and, you know, been in those environments so you can speak that language to them. Um, that's, that's just the, the common scenarios we typically, I typically see in the clinic. Yeah. I would say for me, the experience doing it is the biggest thing because I like, even though I've grown up as an athlete most of my life, like being in the gym and training, like there's just something to be said for, you know, if you lift something heavy and just feel like you had a little tweak of some sort, like 
you're not going to understand what that feels like if somebody's describing it unless you've done that yourself. Um, and you can't, it's hard to give advice unless you've done that yourself too. Yeah. 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 It's just random kind of thing about, um, that the physician that you talked about yesterday, um, that sent us that patient, um, that oh, said yeah. about across it. So yeah. we, we have this, this physician who is just awesome. He's, he's really, really good at his job. Um, just really easy to talk to, you know, text you back like within an hour. Um, and for, a while years ago he was kind of like you know anti-crossfit and that kind of yeah. thing and then like i'm nowadays like i'm hearing things where like he's got patients on do crossfit and be like just go see these guys at vertex they're gonna go against my they're gonna against my advice anyway the guy you had yesterday right what did what did uh what did he say yeah you know he, he told me he's like i think you would really enjoy crossfit i think you should do your physical therapy here because they'll be able to help you get started yeah, right. <laughs> i was like thank you yeah, let's yeah. go yeah so it's kind of oh, cool that, that that you know <laughs> kind of old school mindset changed a little bit yeah yeah yeah, yeah man and yeah. i think uh just to be back on the the question to uh like this population a lot of times it's they're hard chargers and being told to just rest and do nothing is like a death sentence to people sometimes and so like the the and then oftentimes too it's like if you are telling them that oh you need to completely shut it down do this kind of stuff one they probably aren't going to come back to mm -hmm, yeah. or it's there it's you've already kind of uh, their, their mindset and, the, and you know where they are mentally with the whole thing is, is already thrown off. So for me, I'm trying to help keep their activity as close as to the original activity as possible, keeping in mind all the things that, that we're, we're dealing with, with the actual injury or whatever they're here with us. So like, like Brand said, I still want them going back to their CrossFit class. I just might have them doing something slightly different with certain movements. Or if they're a team sport athlete, I want them in the weight room with their team if possible. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, we're making some alterations around it. Um, and a lot of times that helps with, with buy-in too, because then they're still feeling, I mean, you can get people that are training four or five, six days a week around their injury and still feel like they're being productive and they're getting work in and they're more likely to, to be doing what you want them to do because you haven't just pulled everything away from them. So, yeah. And I, and I think that's another case where you definitely got to be tactful in the way you approach it too. Cause yeah. another thing about runners, runners with bony stress injury, those are they, they really do need to take some time off running. So those things heal, but you can't just say you can't run for two weeks. Right. Cause you know, that just human nature, it makes you dig your heels in and go the opposite direction. So, you know, it's, you know, being real tap in this conversation, but listen, I'm on your side. I want to get you running as quickly as possible. We're going to do everything we can to maintain fitness during this time period and, you know, blah, 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 that kind of thing. But um, yeah, yeah, definitely um, being careful in your approach as well, too, is, is important. Like Josh said, they're not going to come back if you just mm -hmm. go at them hard in the opposite direction. Mm -hmm. Very good. Have you guys ever seen a script? from a position that says CrossFit on it? Is that day gonna come when they write CrossFit? Oh. <laughs> Eval. That's like an RX. Eval. Yeah. I haven't seen CrossFit. that yet. Yeah. I have not seen that yet. I don't know if I, I honestly, I don't know if I want to see that. No, no I, I just, just Eval Tree, just, yeah. just Eval Tree. Yeah. Let, let, let us, yeah. Yeah. Good yep. like Very good. Josh, you mentioned an important point too about if, if they are injured and they do need to have some modifications, having them back in their environment, their regular training environment, right. because there's a huge psychological aspect to it mm -hmm. as well. For sure. They're not just off in the corner doing their own thing. Um, they're mm -hmm. with their team or they're with their, uh, with their gym. So that's, that's real important too, to consider. So. Yeah. Very good. And then Josh, you, um, you do a lot of uh, aerobic training as well, as far as and people are injured too. And I know um, both all of you actually, um, you know, you, someone can lose their aerobic fitness pretty quickly after an injury. Right. And sometimes I think people, if you, you know, you do have a post-op shoulder, they might not be doing any aerobic training. So what are some strategies you use to make sure that when they do, maybe when their precautions are lifted, that they're actually relatively in shape, they haven't completely deconditioned. So what are some strategies that, this isn't just for you, but for Yeah, anybody. no, I think um, my, that's one reason I love the uh, assault bike because it essentially is for 
different limbs are all being used in some way. So if they have a bum one, you've still got three rolling, right? Um, or figuring out a way to use if it's a low extremity issue to use a skier, or if it's a, you know, there's like so so many different ways to to continue to allow them moving too. And we know the benefits, the systemic benefits from aerobic work anyway. So um, it also for an athlete too, it helps them feel like they're still working, right? Because that again, like we mentioned from a psychological standpoint, uh, if I'm phrasing it in a way as like my goal is to keep to try to maintain as much fitness as possible. So when we're able to get back into these things, you're ready to go. And like, and you know, and that, and that, that mindset of like, Oh, I'm still training. I'm still getting after it is huge form. So, um, I, I tend to use a lot of, um, you know, the assault bike, maybe a skier, if we have a lower body injury, um, a lot of times it's a, it's a carry of some kind, if I can. So yeah, they got a bum shoulder. Doesn't mean I can't put something in the other shoulder for them to carry. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of ways you can do it by even, um, you know, safely performing, uh, more of, you know, but say keeping the shoulder thing, it's like, they can still be squatting. They can still be doing hinge work with, you know, something in their single arm. They can, there's a, there's step ups, there's lunges, whatever, you know, there's so much you can do. Um, so it's just about getting creative and keeping the intensity and the duration where you want it to keep it, uh, aerobic. And so, um, we, I tend to include a lot of that in my stuff too, because, uh, I think it's great from a mentality standpoint. So, um, there's nothing, you know, if you're a post-op, but you can still leave sweating a little bit with your heart rate up a little bit. You, you've probably felt like you're, you're on the right track, right? If you just laid on the table the whole time and I, I just ranged your shoulder for half an hour and then kicked you out the door, then, you know, their, their mindset's going to be a little different in those two scenarios. Mm -hmm. And I made my stomach turn when you said skier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, but I mean, you just got, you have to get creative, but that's those are some of the strategies I do. I tend to put things in like more of like a cyclical nature, keep them flowing their heart rate stays slightly elevated and they can control their work to rest. And a lot of those instances, I'm just using movements that are safe, number one, and, and effective and appropriate based on the, what, you know, what we're working with. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And he raises a lot of good points to that too, keeping in mind that the, the, the stimulus that you're, that you're chasing in the clinic, you know, it needs to be appropriate. And a lot of times it can be more intense than you would think, even with someone who is acute, you know, fresh off the injury, fresh off the surgery and that sort of thing as well. Yeah, and that's you're ask, asking things like RPE, asking, you know, using, you know, metrics in some way to determine, you know, what kind of intensity that they're operating at and, and, and ensuring that it's where you want it, right? So that takes an understanding of, you know, training principles, which is why if you're going to work with this population, you should, you know, expand your strength and conditioning background as much as possible. And so having an understanding of what kind of parameters you want within for a training piece or for that, that particular intervention, and then using certain metrics, um, whether it be just simply asking them from an RPE standpoint to ensure that they're actually operating within that intensity range that you are, are desiring. Um, so it's just, a, a, you know, you know, laying out the plan and then doing stuff to monitor it while it's going on. I'd say additionally too, which maybe is not as much as far as like in clinic things, we don't really have the ability to do this um, here, but I also was previously doing aquatic therapy with athletes too. Yeah. And that's, if, if they have a pool, I'll write them a pool program to do for sure. Um, because that's something that they can, that they can implement at home, hopefully, or even if they have somewhere to go to do that, um, as like a totally different modality, but also still very helpful to keep them moving. Um, and you can also make that very challenging too. And in a lot of times, like I'll put an athlete in there and they're like surprised that they're tired at the end. But I mean, that's also very helpful. Yeah. 
And I think their home programs got to include that too. Yeah. Too often, like, oh, we're doing a post-op shoulder. And so we give them three yeah. shoulder exercises and, and, you know, we don't see them for five days. I mean, so Thursday, you're not seeing them until the next Tuesday and you're sitting there and it's like, and they just sat on the couch for that five days. And mm -hmm. yeah, maybe they got their HEP in, but like, you know, it's being a little more comprehensive with their HEP, including mm -hmm. walking, including whatever I can have them do at home mm -hmm. to continue to maintain or build as much fitness as possible during this time. So your HEP has got also included. Yeah. Great. I love that answer. Um, I think some of the first year, first year DVD students are having flashbacks to, we did a, we did an aquatic, aquatic session and they were, a lot of them were dying. We were, having, we're, doing, <laughs> we're doing aqua jogging. If you've ever done aqua jogging, no, it's it's legitimately doing it. It'll bring people to tears, um, especially, especially, <laughs> if you, especially if you have a fear of water. So you've seen the, uh, the ones going around on Instagram, like the, it's, it's like a college and NFL, like linemen doing like jumps. Like yeah, from the shallow end into the out of the pool. That's that's sick. That's the first yes. thing I want to try whenever I uh, get back in the pool again. I don't want to embarrass myself, so none of you will be around if I do that. <laughs> It'll jump on the bottom stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Very good. Um, as far as kind of jumping back up a little bit, what makes athletes unique or maybe different than your your typical patient that comes in? Ooh, that's a loaded question. Do you have to, do you, do you feel like you're oftentimes dialing things back because they want to do too much or is that a general, that is a generalization, but what do you feel like, are they more motivated, less motivated? Um, kind of talk about what's, what's unique and what's different than how you, how you approach an athlete versus a, maybe your general patient. Motivation is definitely different, right? So if it's competition, you know, it's the goal is to win. Um, you know, that's going to be a different mindset. Some people, if they're making a living, off of being an athlete, that's a completely different mindset as well, too. And at the same time, some of that can be comparable to the general population as well, too, because getting back you know, to work, or right? Yeah, because you know that their motivations can be granular in comparison. You know, somebody else might just want to be able to take care of their kids or something like that, too. So that's a that's a tough question. I'm telling them I'm buying time here. Yeah, yeah, and, and honestly, you'd be surprised too. It's like they're even within this population, you have some people who are seemingly really unmotivated too mm -hmm. um it's not like a yeah. given of like you play this sport or you even if you do it for a living we've had you know people that come in that are you know they do whatever that task is for a living and they're mm -hmm. still you know you're surprised at the the level of motivation right and so um, i think it's still each person's a, a unique individual that's in front of you and it's determining about where they are and what i need to do or what we need to do to to help them along that process so i, I don't I hate characterizing like all athletes are just so much more motivated you gotta pull them back because that is sometimes yeah. but then you get the opposite end of the spectrum yeah. too you see like if you've seen the end day documentary out now like that's wild man like michael jordan like he if you were not motivated like he was like he hated you like, you know what i mean yeah. do with you right and then other people who were like on his level like kobe and stuff like that are like best friends so you see that even at the highest level yeah sport. it's so hard to mm -hmm. you know it's, it's so hard to spectrum yeah. yeah i would say that it, it oftentimes is just more of a mindset um just in general which could be like general population versus athletes, you just have to try to get a glimpse into where their thought process is on, you know, where they expect to be, like, mm -hmm. as far as physical therapy, and then, you know, past that. Um, yeah, that's, yeah. When you, when you guys have to scale back things and modify things due to an overuse injury, do you ever find getting them to buy into why going slower now would benefit you later? Do you ever find trouble with that as far as someone who wants to get I always go back to runners because runners, as a runner, you know, they're, they're, they're stubborn. They want to run tomorrow. How do you kind of make them buy into, all right, these two weeks, if you slow down, we go do some other things here, this will actually pay off in the end. Runners are different beasts, yeah, man. Yeah. I feel like there's like everybody else in the yeah, runners. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
that's that's a, that's yeah. A, yeah. Sometimes uh, what I find with the high level runners is the trick is actually sometimes actually getting their coaches to buy in to what you're doing okay. and kind of going through them um, because no matter what I do, they're going to respect the opinion of their coach who's you know with them most days. I'll be writing their programs more so what mine is. So if you can you know, getting good with them, then a lot of times that takes care of a lot of that friction that you might experience with the actual patient themselves. Yeah. A lot of times it's, it's, for me, it's, it's still, it's trying to keep the, the target in mind. So like really knowing like what, well, they're a runner, well, what are they preparing for? Is there a race on the calendar? When is this going on? And then kind of framing things in terms of that. It's like, oh, your next rate, you know, it's currently in May. It's like, you're all oh, your next race is in October. It's like, okay, we've got these five months. And so what we can do right now is really build a good base while we let this thing heal. And then we've got months to build the running back up and kind of just like reinstilling that like stuff we do today is going to help them. Um, and then now there's more and more and more people are receptive. It seems like um, and there's still some resistance, uh, including some you know, other types of training within the running population. There's still some camps that are, you know, you just run more and more and more. And then there's still some camps that are, that are now, you know, being more open to some types of resistance training or cross training type stuff too. And so, uh, in, in, you know, trying to get them to buy into how beneficial that can be too. Um, and then we're framing it in terms of like, okay, we've got this long timeline. So this part right now, we're focusing on this. So that way you can get back into your running routine, right, your running program. So I still feel like in, in, at least in this area, like the, the primary goal with, with the runners is just get the miles, gotta get the miles, gotta get the miles. Yeah. 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 If it's not for the actual training, it's for the psychology. Like if I don't get these miles on Saturday, I'm not gonna be confident going to this race, that sort of thing. Um, it's yeah, man, if you, if you know how to crack that code, let me know. (laughs) I do not. I would say, I would say also though, you like, sometimes it's challenging, especially if they have like, like I'm going, I'm thinking runners again, but if they have like a planned race down the road and you're not, you're not certain if they're going to be ready for that, that's a really tough conversation to mm-hmm. have. Um, a lot of times I feel like I end up going down the path of, um, we'll still have you do it, but just know that we're going to be probably managing you afterwards again. Mm-hmm. Um, but getting into their like, I mean, and sometimes that depends on if they have to do it, you know, for a career versus like recreationally. Um, But just getting into their thought process behind like why they're doing it. That's really the biggest thing that you can do. But that's not something that you're going to be able to do on day one, because you really have to establish a good rapport with them before you can really go down that rabbit hole. Right. So yeah, that's important too. you just got to play the long game. A lot of times. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's a good point. And he said setting reasonable expectations as far as if you know they have a race coming up they're, they're, you, and you find out they're going to do it regardless. You tell them, look, we're going to try to prepare you as much as you can for that. Just know that we're going to we'll probably have to do some work afterwards as, yeah. as well. And I think sometimes, sometimes people are okay with that. They accept the risk of that and um, they're okay with that. So Yeah, it's basically like telling them you're, we're going to put a Band-Aid on it right now. And then after the race, let's, let's reevaluate and see where we're at. Let's adjust settles. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's a good thing to set up that expectation because if you don't tell them that, then – so Josh and Amy specifically you guys have um, some backgrounds in nutrition what, what, what made you pursue that is that because of the population you work with was it personal interest combination of both and then what it was that background kind of look like what did you what did you do with that so I think we both did it because we're nerds <laughs> yeah um, no, nerds. we are we yeah we just like learning um I, I've been interested in nutrition for a very long time. That's just always been something that I've um, been curious about as, as most things that I tend, tend to try to learn about. Um, yeah, I decided to seek out precision nutrition's coaching certification, um, actually like 
probably two years ago. I just um, had a hard time completing it until recently. And I finally finished the cert probably like, I don't know, four or five months ago, maybe. Um, and, you know, I sought that one out because um, I just know the reputation of it. And I'm a huge fan of John Berardi and he's the founder of that. And um, it's been really applicable to working with clients, but actually also working with patients. I'm sure you probably found that too. Mm -hmm. Um, the, a lot of it is habit-based nutrition and that's the biggest thing that people struggle with for most people. And, um, a lot of their courses just about how to help people change behaviors. And that applies to a lot more than nutrition, but Absolutely. that's, that's physical therapy. Yeah, yeah exactly. Change. So I like, honestly, highly recommend that if you're like a PT that has any interest in it, like you'll get a lot out of it from just a learning how to talk to patients about behavior change because I feel like I didn't know how to do that really well, even though I'm sure they touched on that in PT school. Um, but yeah, PN has been amazing for that. And, you know, I, I mean, I've learned, you, have, you also have to just do it. You have to work with people and make a lot of mistakes so that you can figure out how to help them. Um, yeah, I, I, precision nutrition, for sure. Yeah, no, I, I think you, you said a lot of exactly what I'm going to say. My background was in strength conditioning and working with clients prior to PT school. So within that realm, it was a lot of informal learning, um, primarily just, you know, book recommendations from people I admired, or I thought were great. Um, and eventually I did purchase that cert. I actually still haven't finished it. Um, it's mainly just a finding time to get through the 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 online quiz part of it, but having gone through the material, it's a, it's fantastic material. Like Amy said, it focuses a ton more on habit-based changes and, and really trying to create long-term behavior change, which, um, you know, for, for me, I would say, I mean, not even just a majority, a vast majority of people that we work with, even from an athlete side, it's, it's that kind of stuff that needs to be worked on. It's just consistency. It's, 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 it's you know, the, the cool or sexy stuff is having, is knowing exactly what macro breakdown people need and, and that kind of stuff. And, and, and that's what a lot of nutrition education, I feel like goes towards, but most people aren't at that level, right? There, most yeah. people just need to get so much more consistent on, you know, eating, you know, often enough or eating at the, the you know, the same times or eat, you know, eating a, a vegetable at each meal. <laughs> like it's, it's like, you're starting you know, much more basic than a lot of that. And a lot of that too is, 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 kind of rewriting years of certain patterns. So that's where it comes down to more of the behavior change aspect of it. So I highly recommend precision nutrition too. I'm sure at some point I will uh, actually complete the, the, the cert, but the material is, is wonderful. Um, and even as PTs, like um, from the strength conditions, I was clear, it was very clear that the stuff that we were doing from a training perspective was maybe 20% the whole picture, maybe 20%. A lot of times when I was working as a CrossFit coach, I mean, I had them for an hour, right? And so, you know, I have an hour and yeah, maybe we got a lot of really good work in, but those other variables were so much more important and mattered so much more in terms of long-term change towards what they wanted. So um, for me, it was, it was trying to be able to help people with that, knowing that it made my, it made their results from the training. I was giving them so much, it, you know, it, it was so much better and it applies to the same thing with PT, right? We see them, you know, if we're lucky maybe twice a week when we get an hour with them. Um, but ultimately, you know, what are they doing outside of it? Not just from the training side of it, but are they supporting it? Um, this applies even more to athletes or post-ops or other things like that, where they, they need to be adequately feeling themselves and sleeping enough. So um, I think PN is a great place to start. Um, that would be, that's always my recommendation when people ask. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a few other companies out there that I do like as well, but just from a, a standpoint of what is probably going to give you the most bang for your buck in working with general population, which is mm -hmm. most people, I would definitely say precision nutrition. Working against gravity is also good. Renaissance periodization. I would say those two are, are more well-known um, as well, but 
Um, you know, we had a conversation probably a couple weeks ago on like someone that came in and was asking about intermittent fasting and we were like, um, you know, we're not even going to have that conversation unless you can show me that you're eating like protein and veggies at every meal. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, there's, yeah, and, and a lot of it too, from a nutrition standpoint too, and what, like, like pea and perch, there's no one perfect formula, yeah. right? It's yeah. not like you learn the secret to nutrition and it works for everybody. Right. So it's, it's really, you know, having a good understanding of the underlying principles and figuring out what to apply with each person um, and where to start with each person. And so, uh, you know, people can have success on a lot of different types of diets, right? And so uh, for, for us, I know Amy and I take the same approach of it's more about the, uh, there are certain underlying principles that we want to make sure are in place and they're certain, and we want to make sure that they have everything else kind of all those other boxes checked. And then maybe we'll expand more into specific amounts or macro stuff or things like intermittent fasting or keto or anything that anybody wants to try or do. Yeah. But there's like an underlying kind of base that we need to develop. And the vast majority of people don't have that base yet. So that's where we typically start. Mm -hmm. Y'all just sit on a couple really good points I like too, because a lot of that just correlates with physical therapy in general too. But you know what? You're talking about your background, you know, with your CrossFit clients and strength conditioning clients prior to PT school and becoming a physical therapist and, and you talking about, you know, not being afraid to, to make mistakes, right? So at the end of the day, you got to get some mileage on that knowledge and actually jump in and, you know, work with these people and, and not be afraid to make mistakes. And, and like you said, you know, principles, right? Keeping those in mind. That's what's the saying. Principles are, are few, methods are many. And, yeah. You know, yeah, that applies to pretty much everything we do, I'd say. Mm -hmm. And that's a hard sell sometimes with precision nutrition. I think they get a lot, a little bit of backlash from that because when you finish the program, um, like I kind of felt like I didn't know where to start. So I like kind of, I've created like a, a document for myself that I'll share with anyone who wants it on like a guide to coaching um, that like, if you have somebody that's coming in, this is where you can start with them and then go from there. But it's at the end of the day, it's still experimentation and there's still like not any like one right way to do things. You have to just know who you're working with and understand where they're coming from. And if you can do that, sometimes that matters a lot more than anything else because they're going to trust you. Yep. Good. Um, so you guys, it seems like you at least with almost every one of your patients' clients, you at least touch on nutrition, even if it's just a basic kind of one, one question kind of summary of that. But as far as athletes, do you, would you, do you say you emphasize nutrition more for athletes because you find it more, more important, more vital, or, or is it pretty much the same as far as athletes versus non-athletes asking about nutrition and looking at nutrition? Knowing again that it depends on the, it always depends on physical therapy, but um, yeah. in general, do you think nutrition is something you definitely focus more on with, with athletes because of the performance aspect of it or? Are, are we kind of seeing more and more how vital it is for everybody? I mean, take the, the COVID pandemic, right? One of the highest risk factors is obesity, right? So yeah. that's, I mean, I think it's vital for everybody yeah. in different ways. You'd like to think that your, your athletes are going to be more invested in their nutrition because they have these other goals and they usually have already been told at some point along the way that they're, what they're eating and they're, how their fueling is, is important to them. But you would be surprised at how, the, you know, the number of individuals that, you know, that come in that are even considered, I guess you could put in the higher level athlete category that really are not tracking anything. They're not paying attention. They're just, they, they, you know, they just, whatever's available at the house, they throw, they put in their mouth kind of thing. And so um, there's, it's, it's very, it varies a lot on the person themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and I wouldn't say that the general population or athletes, any one of them is more receptive than the other. I think within each, I guess, category, you're going to have people who are more receptive and who are more dialed in and you're going to have people who really have 
very little knowledge about it. So makes me think about um, Ocho Cinco. Didn't he eat McDonald's? Yeah, <laughs> man, that's my dude. No Bengals. Yeah, he was the exception. He could perform. Yeah. He performed in spite of his. Yeah. <laughs> so very good. All right, let's let's move on to talk about specifically about female athletes for a second. So. And Amy, this is geared towards you, but then also everyone open it up to everyone else as well. Do you find any differences between treating a male and female athletes? What are some special considerations for the female athlete? Yeah, I, I go back and forth on this because sometimes I really feel like it's actually just more of a mindset than anything else because there are some males that would have a similar mindset to females, but I just, I do tend to notice that um, in general, a lot of females tend to have like a similar type of mindset. Um, and that just that also comes from just me being a female athlete too so i i feel like i just identify with that a little bit more um and yeah I'm, that, i mean yeah it's a tough one in general considerations for working with females um you know if we want to go down the line of uh like things that i would consider asking on like initial eval um especially if let's say they're a runner um we would definitely have to suspect a little bit more so on the, the case of making sure their nutrition is um, up to par because, um, you know, some, a lot of times they're not eating enough. Um, and that's not, so, it's, it's a hard question to ask. Um, I will also, um, I will ask about um, menstrual periods too. That's a, that's a big thing that, that I think is important, but that's also a hard question to just throw out there, especially if you have like a young female athlete um, with their parent in the room, like that's, not something they always want to talk about. But you feel um, it's important to ask. It, it, it definitely is um, because that does give you a, a window into, you know, if they're appropriate, how their hormones are functioning. And, um, you know, if, if their training is appropriate and their nutrition is appropriate. Um, so yeah, those are, I would say those are the two bigger things. But other than that, a lot of it is me just getting to know them as a person to understand where they're coming from mentally. Um, and I don't think there's like any like specific way I go about that other than just really trying to learn who they are. Everybody knows women are tougher. Right? <laughs> well, right. I, I mean, mean, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> the excuses I've gotten from like male athletes, uh, I stayed up too late watching Rick and Morty. Uh, I got Call a of duty till 4 a.m. Yeah. Women just do the damn thing. Just get it done. <laughs> I, I, I got, I got yeah. a question for you though. Like, so you, you alluded to like, females not eating as many calories. I imagine body image is probably something to do with that too. Body image is a big thing. Um, do you find that males as well too? I think it is. I mean, I don't think, I don't think that I see it quite as much, but I also, I also just treat a lot more women than males. Yeah. So gotcha. that's, yeah. that's part of it. But um, body image, I feel like drives a lot of why women do the things that they do. Um, but I, that's something that you are not going to talk to them about until you really get to know them. Um, that, Cause that's a hard, that is a hard topic to just brush up um, when you're just first getting to know somebody. Yeah. yeah. And if, if, and if I'm suspecting some things in terms of like, it's a female athlete and I think too, there might be some, some under eating or some things like that too. A lot of times it's, you know, from as, as like a male working with, let's say a young female athlete um, when it comes to like, I'll, I'll kind of phrase it more of like, I think, you know, one thing that's really going to help from, you know, us, they say a healing perspective or what we're doing here is the nutrition side of things. I would love if possible. Can I give you a little questionnaire just to get an idea of where you are on some things you bring back to me and then we can go over it if we need to just to see if there's anything that we can make a, a really easy change that's going to help us with this process. And I'll give, I have a, a, like an intake form essentially that I use with nutrition clients and on it, it does ask some of those other questions that I can edit it for giving to them where it might ask them about, uh, you know, 
uh, you know, menstrual periods and, 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 you know, that kind of stuff too, and going through it to where like, if it's uncomfortable for a conversation too, it's like, and they, they you know, it, it, all of it, the premises, like, and I say, it's like, if there's any questions that you don't want to answer, don't, you don't have to. Right. And, and so like, I, I try to word it in, in that kind of way. And then, so if they feel comfortable enough opening up about any of those types of things, then, then they, they have the opportunity to in kind of a less threatening way. And, and sometimes that really does help spark some, some good questions going, or some good uh, things going forward because you know oftentimes if I'm suspecting that and then there are also some irregularity there and absence and absence there too um, they kind of indicates to me that yes we really do probably need to prioritize the, the, the like nutritional intake so I'm not necessarily diving further into that and like grilling them on it but it's more of like hey this is just validating my thought of I need to work with getting this person to eat a little bit more and so that's where my gear goes like you know I really think we would benefit of if we up everything just a little bit or however I want to word it and then slowly making those changes and and so then I can give them that same questionnaire later on um, and see if there's any change right and it's just ways to kind of get that information if it's a situation we don't feel comfortable just straight up asking that person yeah. but yeah. I think that's a great way to go about it as far as if, if you're, whether you're male, female or whatever, um, going, having it on an intake form or something where you don't have to personally ask that you may not feel comfortable or maybe it's day one. Um, that, that's definitely yeah. different. another approach to do it, but still get the same information. Just being open about that. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. I can't really picture myself sitting in a examination room with a female asking about um, menstrual cycles. Yeah. Like, it'd be hard to, hard to straight up ask. That's really yeah. outside of what comfort zone I yeah, yeah. think about. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, but I do know it is very important yeah. for a lot of reasons, but it's still, like, it's, it'd be hard yeah. for me to implement. And I word it a lot of times like, you know, every time I want to talk about nutrition with somebody, I give them this intake form. So it's like very clear. It's like, I give, I give this to everybody. It's just a general way of doing it. If there's anything on it you don't want to answer, you don't have to. And then kind of, and then it kind of hopefully they feel comfortable enough. And, and it ends up being to where I know I have some higher level female athletes who like that. We, we go have those tough conversations as part of it, just because you develop, like you said, over time, you develop a relationship where they feel comfortable enough talking about that with you. Uh, and, and so that can be huge uh, in terms of their recovery if you're working with them from a rehab standpoint or their performance long-term. Very good. Um, Amy, or actually anyone, do you guys ever find that women, this, we're all, these are all generalizations, but are resistant to resistance training? <laughs> do you find that, is there still the old adage that, let's say, let's go back to runners, that it might negatively affect body image as far as bulk or muscle mass or anything like that? Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I definitely yet. feel like that applies to runners for sure. But um, women, darn runners. Women, <laughs> women. I mean, uh, definitely a lot of women. But I will say, like, I've been very, um, I've been very pleased with what has happened with our barbell club because you know the the goal of that was to kind of promote that it's okay. Um, you know, I I think sometimes women are resistant to strength training because they feel like it's going to make them big and bulky and they don't necessarily want to look like that, but they have like an image in their mind of what they want to look like. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, I think sometimes just breaking that um, stereotype that like, it's okay to have, it's okay to be muscular as a woman. Um, it, like that's where the whole like role model thing comes in because um, I, you know, like I obviously I have a lot of muscle, like, and not everyone wants to look like this, but it's becoming more accepted. And I actually would attribute that to CrossFit. I feel like CrossFit has done a lot for, for women looking fit and like making it okay that women look fit, but Absolutely. there's still, there's still going to be plenty of patients that come through the door that are just like not really interested in that. But, uh, you know, I would also say that some of that too is probably just from a standpoint of um, being afraid to do things in the gym um, because they don't know where to start with it. And those are the people that I love to work with. Get like intimidated. Sort of yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, 
I, I could be wrong in this, but I, like I said, I feel like it's starting to change a little bit, right? Who, like who, who's the modern day supermodel? It's, it's, it's an Instagram influencer these days, right? Yep. And if you're going on Instagram, you know you got to squat, right? That's all I'll say about that, but. <laughs> break the dress. Yeah, that's right, break the dress, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the, I, got, I have to like, give Amy a lot of credit for that barbell club. It is so awesome to see the you know, buy-in that she's been able to create, too, because it's it just like people who maybe don't know where to start, but who have a little bit of interest, and then they have that opportunity. So uh, I'm excited to hopefully have another round of that. Again, that was just cool to, Big to see. Yeah, 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 yeah. especially Brandon and I were, were – we just got to watch from you know thirty thousand foot view. Kind of Amy did Amy and Chelsea and Allie did their thing, and it was great. Yeah, that was um, like life changing for a lot of those. So ju- yeah, just to kind of expand on that, we had um, ages twenty to eighty in that class, mm-hmm. and like yes. all in between. Um, and you know, I will say that a lot of them were there because I strongly encouraged that they be there. But <laughs> <laughs> but fifteen of them went through the class, and they all loved it at the end, and like it created a nice little community of like people of all different backgrounds um getting just getting together and knowing that it's okay to like not know what you're doing um and and try to get a little bit stronger and honestly it's so empowering to just be in a group of women in particular that are all that all kind of have that same goal is to just learn a little bit more and hopefully prevent yourself from you know getting injured if you try to do this stuff on your own Mm-hmm. I think there's a it sounds like a huge social component too as far as community. absolutely yeah. building absolutely. that together so yeah. that's great to see that's one thing that make CrossFit so successful exactly. is that community aspect mm-hmm. yeah very good um and then I do think it's important to note that it's it's actually not necessarily hard but you have to train specifically to gain muscle mass and it's not although uh, you doing resistance training as a female you, you will you might see changes in that you can actually see changes in strength without changes in muscle mass so it doesn't have to the term bulk, I think when people think bulk, they think huge, like popping, you know, like you're, you're, you're a cross Jack and stacked is but what I like Jack to say. and stacked. <laughs> yes. Who's the uh, team at Tia Toomey? Tia Toomey. Yeah. I, was, I was going to say China. Back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. 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 It doesn't have to look like that. Tia Toomey, obviously very, very strong and, and, and looks strong, but it's not necessarily, you know. Yeah. Not what you typically think of as like a bodybuilder format. Yeah, that's so. right. You're not going to look like a man unless you are taking male hormones yeah, in conjunction right. with yours as a trick. Yeah. So it's yeah. like there's, you, yeah, so I think there's some, these are just misconceptions, right? And that's part of his is breaking down those barriers a little bit, having those conversations and having, you know, creating community and having the role models like Amy and Allie and, and Chelsea who kind of like set the stage like, hey, this is what we do, right? And so like having, having those role models is huge. Yeah, so strength training won't make you bulky, cupcakes will make you bulky. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. but that doesn't mean no cupcakes. Right. <laughs> it just means no cupcakes. Oh, well, that's all the train, right? That's all the train. So, guys, yeah, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. All right, guys. Let's talk. Let's talk for a moment about re- return to sport. So, return to sport testing, or how do you know when an athlete is is ready to go back to their sport? Is it, is it when insurance runs out, or when is it? In general, so how do you know? You can you can take a specific example of a patient that you worked with, and you said, "This is how I know that I've done everything I can at this phase. I'm going to pass them off to the next one." So, what does it what does that kind of look like? That kind of transition between physical therapy and maybe and Gray and you guys are kind of a hybrid where it's that that transition might be a little bit longer because of the because of the gym associated with with Vertex. But you guys have a, a case in mind that you? Yeah, I I I think I just. When asking about return to sport, I always think about the ACL reconstructions because I think that's the most common one that gets researched and kind of thrown out there and all the different, you know, batteries of tests that have been implemented because of that. But um, it, it varies highly, right? Like you mentioned, some people will 
stop way early because the physician said, oh, you're good to go or their insurance ran out. Um, I, you know, when given the option, I like to hang on to them for a while because we know that, you know, they're not going to be close to 100% at least until a full year out from their surgery. Now, that's not always feasible as well, too. But, um, yeah, in an ideal situation, um, you know, when it's appropriate, you're, you're going to test them out as much as you can, you know, with, you know, all your different hot testing, your wide balance stuff. You know, if you've got access to isokinetic testing, throwing that in is actually still good to do, too. And, you know, girth, right, muscle mass, that kind of thing. Um, Perfect scenario for me, though, is whenever they're still coming to physical therapy, but sort of transitioning out and actually jumping back in with some aspects of team sports and that kind of thing, too, where that gives them a chance to actually, you know, go through what they need to in a real environment and trial and error some things, right, and report back to me what worked well, what didn't, and that sort of thing. But, yeah, man, it's 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 not a black and white answer. Like, I don't think anything is, though, in this profession. You know, it's, it's a high gray area. Yeah, I know we would love to have – that I think we're, we're trying to support criteria from like an outcome measure standpoint. You'd yeah. love to have tests that you can be like, Oh yeah, pass check. You're good. Yeah. Uh, I think there's so much more into that too. And there's mm-hmm. that totally doesn't, and none of that takes into account, especially those kind of those test things that you mentioned the, the mentality part of it mm-hmm. and where they are mentally following something like this. And, and that's a huge underrated component too. Like, are they ready from a mindset standpoint to even be back in there too? So I think we have to, to evaluate kind of the entire person as you're going through. And a lot of it I think is, is, kind of on feel of when you and they feel like it's time, right? And so yeah. it's a collaborative process in a way there. Um, and, you know, it's a, yeah, we are respecting that how far along they are in timeline and what they've been able to do physically, but also like, do they feel ready? Do they yeah. feel like they can do it? Yeah, you get people who are fearful to get back and you got some people that are like, you know, ready as quick as possible. I saw Adrian Peterson was, you know, back oh, yeah, six I did, months. He did six here. months, I can do it in yeah, six yeah, months. Yeah, so it, yeah, you get, you get a wide right <laughs> Yeah. yeah. You me. mean not all ACLs are six months? What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. For me, I'm, um, if I can, if I have the luxury, I'm going to try to test them in, in the clinic um, with like the demands of what they need to be able to get back to, primarily just because they are going to trust themselves a little bit more when they're in your presence as a mm-hmm. PT. Um, but it just depends on if you are even able to do that with them. Um, but it's hard when you don't have like a, you know, if you don't have an ACL reconstruction, what are you going to do? You need to understand the demands of their sport. That's what yep. you need to do. So mm-hmm. like a needs analysis, um, that's, that's a big one. I always try to think about what is the hardest thing that they could do to challenge that body part. And if I can get them to do that, I feel pretty comfortable letting them go do what they mm-hmm. need to do mm-hmm. sport wise. I have a random thought here, but in the past, um, when I was younger and had more time, um, we, one of my old clinics, we used to treat a, a semi-pro, women's soccer team in town and um you know I'd, I'd go out there um you know with them you know once every other week and that kind of thing and that was definitely helpful to kind of see you know what the demands were for their particular position and that sort of thing and, and try to replicate that in clinic best as possible too and I thought that was pretty helpful as well too absolutely and I feel like if you're if you're not familiar with the sport obviously learn as much as you can but then okay. just talking to the patient about you know what you, what's a typical practice look like how mm-hmm. long is it um, you know, what's your heart rate doing? Yeah. doing that? And this is a huge part of the fit, the maintaining fitness side too. That's yeah. underrated too. A lot of times you're looking at some of these testing batteries that are looking at like, and you're comparing maybe one limb to the other limb, but you're comparing one limb to a deconditioned version of the other limb mm-hmm. too. So it's like, you know, maintaining yeah. as much strength and, and, and fitness as possible. And, uh, you know, from entire body standpoint, the other three limbs is important too, to really figure out if you're actually getting all the way back there. So, um, I think, uh, it's just another shout out to keeping yourself fit during this yeah, process. That's right. yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see uh, how it plays out football season this fall. Oh yeah. It's going to be deconditioning. Well, baseball just threw out there too, of like expect like a mid June start to, to yeah. uh, spring training and a July one kickoff of the season. And it's like, 
Yeah, that's a, that's that's a quick three weeks to get their arms in shape. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you guys have mentioned a couple, but what, what kind of continuing education or certifications would you guys recommend for students who are looking to work with athletes in the future? Like, what's the, what's the best advice you can give someone like that? Strength. Well, number one, training is Yes. Yeah. Whether it be a formal certification process or just uh, from reading, uh, you know, there's some great books out there that we've highlighted on the podcast a ton. Um, that that are, are those underlying principles are important regardless of what type of athlete you're working with. Having a good understanding there is probably where I'm starting. Yeah, honestly, I, I tend to find that even working with athletes, that the best stuff out there is still in the strength and conditioning world. I think physical therapy is getting caught up, but if all you did was stick to JOSPT or something like that, you're, you're going to get left behind. Um, so that's, that's networking with coaches, personal trainers, people in that world is, is, is so crucial as well too, because that's a really, really good way to, to work together for the benefit of your patients as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you say strength, you know, you specifically referring to the CSCS, I assume. It's a good start. It's a good start, right? And so I think whether you take, whether, so again, like letters, I think more and more realizing that you can have all the letters in the world and not really know much at all, or you can know a ton and not have all the letters behind your name, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's more about the, you know, you know, obtaining that information so that the essentials of strength conditioning book, that's part of the CSCS, CS is a great textbook to start with, right? If that's your first foray into it, you know, read through that textbook, find somebody that you can ask questions to if you need to. And if you end up, you know, for me, if you're going to put in the work to read the book, you might as well take the test. But, you know, it's like, so, uh, but the most important thing is actually the knowledge from that too. And there's some other fantastic resources too. Uh, Science and Practice of Strength Training is one of my favorite resources for, for more resistance training stuff. And then uh, I like Joel Jameson's work, um, Ultimate uh, MMA Conditioning is a, a good uh, initial breakdown, some energy system type training. And so, you know, if you're going through and, and taking in these resources um, and acquiring that knowledge, that's where I would, I would start. But from, uh, you can expand into that to some more specific courses. If you want to work with fitness athletes, um, there are some CrossFit courses for fitness athletes. So you can either take the CrossFit courses themselves, which wouldn't be a bad idea if you really want to be in that population. And then also um, ICE Physio has some stuff working for that specific population. And there are some other PT related courses out there, but um yeah, for me, it's just, you know, getting really comfortable in that domain. And then, like Brandon said, networking, you know, go spend the day with people, um, you know, be willing to drive and travel and take time off to go and meet with and see, you know, because a lot of people are really willing to give up information. I know anybody that wants to come hang out with us can come hang out yep. with us, right? And, you know, we tell people do it all the time. And so it's, it's just be willing to put in that work if you truly want to be great working that population. Yeah, throwing out names, like you mentioned Joel Jameson. I got his energy systems taped to my desk, um, some of his charts. Uh, Dan John, I always, yeah. always make my students read one of his books. Charlie Weingriff is, a, is kind of a, you know, hybrid PT strategy coach. Yeah, I'd say that those three are probably the most influential on me, but there's just so much stuff out there. I mean, yeah. trying to get bits and pieces from everybody else. But I think those CSCS book is a good place to start. Yeah. I also really like um, more from a, like, you know, fitness athlete gym perspective, starting strength. I know people like harp on Mark Ripito, but that book is very helpful in basic movement patterns like squat and deadlift, um, which we do so much even in the clinic. So um, if you if you want a good breakdown on that, that's a good book. Um, there's Sue Falzoni's got a book too, um, Bridging the Gap from Rehab to Performance. Um, that's also pretty good. I mean, I could go like down the list on yeah. that, but I think regardless of con ed and certifications, you have got to be in the gym. Um, mm-hmm. And Kelly Surrett always says you have to have a movement practice yourself if you're going to be, I mean, you should do that regardless of if you're working with athletes, but definitely if you're working with athletes, you've got to move 
because that's the only way you're going to understand how to relate to them. And it's not like you have to do their specific sport, but like if you have a vested interest in that working with a certain population, like if you do it, you're just going to understand it a little bit more. Do you, do you think that, oh, go ahead, Brandon. Say I forgot about Kelly Surratt. He's the OG. Yeah. we got to throw yeah. a supple open in there. Yeah. 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 Do you guys think that, let's talk about um, Olympic lifting. Do you feel like you as a PT have to be proficient in Olympic lifting to teach or coach someone how to do Olympic lift? I'm terrible at it. Is anybody know. proficient in Olympic lifting? That is a very loaded question. I would say <laughs> <Yeah>. proficient. Uh, <laughs> We're talking about mastery of Olympic lifting. It is, it is you, know, you can spend 20 it's years. It's an Olympic sport. Still, yeah, exactly. It's, I mean, you're, you're, it's, so you can definitely go on the rabbit hole there. I think from a from a basics standpoint, um, understanding kind of how the the movement's supposed to look and feel and be able to to articulate that is important. Um, you know, especially to understand more of the demands of mm -hmm. the weightlifter if somebody's trying to get back into it, or a CrossFitter that has an issue or pain in their shoulder when they snatch, and being understand why would that possibly be going on and how can I get it back. Um, but I don't necessarily think that I think I think too often we associate people who are really good at something with being really knowledgeable and great at coaching or teaching it. And I think that happens not just in weightlifting, that's everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. Some of the best baseball coaches I ever had weren't the best players, right? Um, and and say, so it's the same thing with weightlifting, but I do think there's a base level of competence needed there. Um, and part of the way you develop that is by doing it yourself, right? So you don't need to be able to snatch hundred kilos to be able to teach, to really help somebody, but you should be able to understand the motor pattern of the snatch and the sequencing and be able to at least perform, you know, you know somewhat adequate reps, I would say. Absolutely. Yeah. It's the endless pursuit of perfection. It's yeah. just like it's just like running. It's like any other sport. You know, it's, oh, yeah. you got to constantly keep working at it. Mm -hmm. I quite enjoy being a mediocre athlete, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but again, it's going to help you better be able to speak the language and oh, yeah. be able to relate to it. And that's yeah. the largest thing is they're just looking to make sure that you're competent in some way and that they're they're in the right place. Yep. So. Training gets you something money can't buy, and that's perspective. Boom. Wow. Boom. Mic drop. Wow. Right, guys, I want to finish with a couple of things. You're going to tell me if this is a sport or not a sport. Oh man. Oh. All right, let's start with shuffleboard on ice. Oh, on ice. <laughs> so you <laughs> have variables curling? in Curling? Curling, yes. That's a, okay. <laughs> AKA curling. Oh, man. Oh, it's an Olympic sport, so that's uh, a yes. We have to say, have have to say yes, although I'm, I'm, I don't think something being skilled necessarily makes it a sport. Oh, it's just a very skilled activity. But it's, Dude, it's in the Olympics, so we're calling it a sport. That, that, the person that like, skates backwards down the track. Oh, it's, it's again, very, very oh, man. high level yeah. skill. Right, what about what about bobsledding? Cool yeah. runnings. Cool yeah. running. Sport. Sport. If, it, if it's an yeah. Olympic sport, I'm. If it's I'm, in the Olympics, yeah, we're calling it a sport. sport. All right, all right, all right. Poker. It's on ESPN. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I don't think poker's a sport, but I also don't feel like esports are technically a sport. Yeah. And I know that's gonna that will make some waves. I think it's again, it's a it's a skill and it takes a lot of skill but I don't, I don't yeah there's a physical component with with the hands and the thumbs at least yeah you, <laughs> poker, well, I guess poker 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 some of the stamina too facial, facial like, expressions of poker yeah 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 all right yeah, yeah no, no i'm gonna say no, no? i'm gonna say yeah. no on poker what do you, you got, did you officially give someone uh, poker i'm gonna say i i was gonna say yeah but since you guys pressure tested my idea i'm gonna have to go with no <laughs> <laughs> it's on ESPN. <laughs> all right another thing that's i think on espn fishing Fishing's a sport. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're in the South. You're in the South. We're going to go fishing sport. Okay. What else we got? Um, bass fishing. <laughs> bass fishing. Deep fishing. Um, what about cheerleading? 
Okay, I will. I'll say cheerleading sports, especially the tumbling. That stuff's like that's intense. I used to to not really think so, but like honestly, if you understand what they have to do from a tumbling standpoint, that is really physically demanding, actually, and also very dangerous. Yeah, but is it in the Olympics? No, it's not in the Olympics, but I still I do say it's sport. I don't like I, I don't like the subjective nature about who wins in a lot of these things. Um, I like like yeah. black and white, like how do you have a winner, like because they have more points or more runs or more whatever. So some of those subjective ones bother me, but I'd say it's a sport. So you get the weeds with it, right? Because like it's like combination of gymnastics and dance, right? Gymnastics sport, no doubt, right? Simone Biles, greatest female yeah. in the world right now, but then dancing, right? Dance is, is a sport. Dance is sure. sport. Yeah. Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah, sport versus activity. I, I, I will say though that Netflix show Cheer is is pretty good, right? Oh yeah, that's yeah. super competitive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But you, you also get uh you also get judged based off your math talk as well too, right? You know, like go Stacy, yeah. Oh my thing. god. <laughs> Brennan, we're gonna make you do we're gonna make you do some cheerleading now. Just yeah. so you can <laughs> hate on it. Watch, like it's gonna be what Scarlett wants to do. It's gonna happen. Last one, bowling bowling. <laughs> uh bowling bowling sport, right? It's in the Olympics, isn't it? Is bowling in the Olympics really? I, I could totally. I don't. Is it? I don't know. I mean, uh, <laughs> see, I think cheerleading is way more. Of a sport cheerleading than is more bowling. of a sport than bowling in my mind. From like a physically. So there's a hierarchy. Okay. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Bow- no, I got rejected. I, for, I, I don't they tried. Maybe it's like the yeah, physical demand of the activity. Yeah. And there's is, like a cutoff. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I don't know if bowling's demand is high enough. Yeah. Somehow no. we have fishing on me. Hey. <laughs> hey. You know. The, there's also some other considerations. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. This is this is a tough one. What, what is the definition of a sport? Like, what what is what does Google say? I think it has to have a physical component, which is arguably esports. Come on, man. I mean, you're sitting there fiddling your thumbs. An activity yeah. involving physical exertion and skill in which an individual or team competes against another or others for entertainment. So competition, entertainment. physical component. So okay. then, is karaoke a sport? If you go hard, yeah, I mean, I you like. had, it's all about the presentation. <laughs> so presence. there is a physical yeah. component. Stage presence. Yeah. I, would, I would say that you're pretty good at that, then, Josh. Oh, God. We're not going to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, think about, yeah, like, yeah. Stage presence, everything, right? Yeah. Think about Bob Dylan, Bruce Springsteen, terrible singers, right? But they can sing. <laughs> we are, right? It's what right, I think we're way up. <laughs> Man, oh man. Well, Reed, thank you so much for, for having us on here. Hopefully they got something out of it, right? And maybe not the last two minutes, but yeah, they signed up. Right? Yeah, I think, I think if anybody's still listening, yep. we appreciate it. Brandon's hating on them because he's pretty good at singing Let It Go. So. Oh my gosh, yes. Awesome. Well, again, we appreciate everybody tuning in. Um, if you have any more questions on resources or anything we talked about today, or if, again, you want to come just hang out, you're welcome to. So just let us know and uh, and we'd love to help in any way that we can. Uh, again, Reed, we appreciate you you coming by and then and, and uh, ask us to be on uh, with it. For any guy, think yeah. If um if anybody wants to reach out to you, Amy or Reed, um, how what's the best way to get in contact? And we can put that in the show notes as well too. You just have the regular email. You said yeah, that? yeah. Uh, well, email address. I would good? say Instagram at Iron Lady DPT. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. Instagram, or- Amy. You want. Email. Yeah, read R-E-E-D at vertexpt.com. Sweet. Awesome. All right. It's a Better Faster podcast. We're out. And one last thing. If you liked the episode, please head on over to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, and leave us a five-star review. That way we can reach more people. And if you have any questions, a topic that you want us to cover, or maybe a person that you think we should interview, hit us up on Instagram at Better Faster Podcast. 
You can also keep up with updates on our physical therapy and strength and conditioning businesses by giving us follows at Vertex PT and at Vertex Strength. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Have a great week and we'll be back next Monday. This episode is brought to you by Vertex PT Specialist. One patient per doctor physical therapy per hour. Guaranteed. The best physical therapy ever. Check us out at vertexpt.com or on the gram at vertexpt.